Welcome to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf, presented by SeedGolf.com. Premium golf balls, half the price. No brainer. Press pause, go order some, stock up for the summer. Subscribe even monthly, bi monthly, whatever you want. Cheaper that way as well. Jutesgolf.com also sponsored the podcast. And if you don't follow me on social media, you'll know that I love the Climate 2.0 jacket that they just released. The Ambassador Packs have been restocked and they're available now. So go check them out. Support me, support the podcast, support a lovely startup scaling company. This week's episode is why you press play in the first place. And I'm really proud of the episode. Uh, it's a woman I've been chasing with a couple of years. Um, yes, I'm married, but I'm not to say that in this context. Um, it's Michelle Holmes, everyone. And she... I've been really, really intrigued and fascinated as to her approach to the game, and especially with her little niece as well, Katie, um, which is possibly the most fun Instagram profile you can go follow at sheer, sheer love of the game. Without further ado, roll it there, Kalesh. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What did he get at? Teared up, Michelle. Yep, ready. Smashing. So, Ennis Grown to Chesapeake. How did that happen? Ennis Grown, what? Well, that was quite the journey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, I grew up playing um, junior golf back home in Ireland, of course. Um, Grew up at Ennis Grown Golf Club and had a pretty good junior career. Um, I, you know, played for the girls team at the club and we had a lot of success. I played for Connacht. I played on the Irish junior team. And um, so I used to play in all the provincial championships and stuff and had a pretty good showing there and was very lucky to be offered a scholarship to come out to play golf at Campbell University in North Carolina. So what was I, 18 at the time, made my way out to North Carolina. And that was quite a culture shock because, you know, back then there was no such thing as recruiting trips. So, you know, I got on the plane. My parents didn't even come out with me. I just thought I was going to New York City. Just presumed everywhere in America was like New York, right? What you see on TV. And I landed in the boondocks of North Carolina. And that was quite the culture shock. Didn't think I'd last more than a few months there, but I stuck out my four years there and it was a great experience. And and then... I pretty much always knew I was going to be a golf coach. And, you know, people always ask, did you ever think you were going to play on tour? Uh, But I always knew, even through the teenage years, I never, my dream was always to coach. Most people's dream is to play on tour, right? But mine was always like, no, I want to coach. So um, after I graduated college, I took, I did what kind of everyone did back then. I took a job as an assistant pro. Uh, I really didn't know what else to do. So I took a job as an assistant pro and about two years into that, I was like, I got to make some moves. I can't just stand in in the shop for the rest of my life. So I decided I was going to open the kids golf school and it's worked out pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) It has. And I look forward to like getting into that, into the weeds and that a little bit. But first, like what, for you, Michelle, what is your earliest memory of golf? And I take it that's in a scroll. So what's your earliest memory of, of, of the game? My earliest memory actually is 
And my uncles always played and my grandfather played and my granduncle played. So I came from a family of golfers, but my dad never played. My dad was a, a soccer player. He thought golf was boring. But then he broke his leg playing soccer and I guess needed something else to do. So my uncles convinced him to play golf. And then it kind of went from there. And um, he used to take me to the driving range. And I remember one Friday, I think it was Friday, and the pro at the driving range asked me, did I want to join in on the junior golf contest? And it was just contest hitting balls at targets or whatnot. But I won the contest and I won a little trophy. I was 10 years old at the time. I won a little trophy and I won two movie theater tickets. So I remember. Which was more important to the 10 year old, the trophy or the movie tickets? Definitely the movie tickets. <laughs> definitely to a girl. Anyway. But my mom let me bring my friend to the movies the next day or the cinema to stay back home the next day. And I was like, I got to go back and win more tickets. So that was my driving force. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then, you know, coming from a family of golfers, then it went from, okay, you know, my dad was had just joined, got a membership in Enniscrow himself. And, um, you know, then he got me the junior membership and the rest is kind of, kind of history. I guess I had a little bit of a knack for it. They had a really good um, junior program there. Um the golf pro there at the time, who's passed away since he was my my pro all all the way through, was Charlie McGoldrick, and he ran a great great junior program there. So I was very lucky. For people listening in who are maybe involved with juniors and this great work we've done around the country that that goes unnoticed, right? What was so good about Charlie's program for you growing up in that kind of environment? Was there any aspects that you, you still remember now? Um, I guess. I was quite lucky because even, you know, back then a lot of girls didn't play golf, but we had four girls who played and the club really supported us and they really welcomed us. And they really um, created that whole social experience for us. And um, I think that really was what kind of helped, you know, um, keep my interest and, you know, my love for the game grow was having those friendships. I mean, you know, nowadays there's hundreds of junior girls golf golfers in in the clubs. Well, over here there is, anyways. But back then that wasn't a very common thing, so that really helped. Now I'm going to ask a further question, and that's what do you mean by social experience? So what, what did they do? What was their initiatives, or was it just how how things were? Can you describe maybe what that social environment was? Well, like I remember, like one of the the most you know fun things for me was. You know, they always created experiences for us to go out and play golf together, you know, the four of us. But we always traveled to golf tournaments together. We went and played in the kind of girls. We always traveled together. We stayed in the same hotels or B&Bs. And so that was always a priority. Whereas I feel like if that hadn't been a thing, if those three girls weren't involved in the sport and it had just been me, I don't think it would have been near as much fun. Yeah. Or if it was left up to maybe the parents to bring you individually. You know, and then and then separated, and then like you just kind of maybe during the first tee and off you go, type of yeah. thing. They wouldn't have been the same, absolutely. Yeah. So, and so I, when I like, I'm so grateful for Enniscrown because they were so welcoming of us. That wasn't always the case of junior golf, especially back then. I mean, we're going back what nearly a couple 30, years. Yeah, a couple of years. Um, you know, and the juniors weren't always welcoming clubs back then, but they really did a good job of it. So when did when did golf become a bit more than fun? 
Um, was it through your teenage years in terms of when you were looking at it, come, going at it from maybe, you know, I could do this long term as maybe as, as a career, maybe if not on tour, then as as coaching. And the secondary question is, was there a moment when you said, yeah, coaching is for me? So when did it become a bit more serious? And when did coaching be, become the realisation moment? And um, well, if you knew my father, you would know that it became serious pretty quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when that man uh, puts his mind to something, he likes to do things right. So it became serious quite quick. So like, you know, I started at 10. I was, I think I was on the con, you know, panels and stuff by 11, 12. And, um, you know, I was competing on all the different, in all the different provincial championships by 14, probably. So um, it became serious pretty quick. And uh, what was the other question there? And when did you realize, yeah, teaching is for me, yeah, coaching? Well, I think if I hadn't been a golf coach, like I always had a passion for kids and maybe like teaching things. Um, If I hadn't been a golf coach, I probably would have been a, you know, primary school teacher. And so I was always going to go that kind of a route. Um. So, but I just remember one thing I always remember that stands out to me and I'll never forget it. And I must've been 13, 14 at the time. And I was on the ninth tee box, the ladies tee box of Enniscrown Golf Club. And I was playing, I think it was the Sunday contest. And one of the ladies said to me, she said, do you want to play on the tour one day? And I remember clear as day saying to her, no, I just want to do exactly what Charlie does. And like that was even as young as 13, 14. So I knew all along that that was going to be my, that was going to be where I was going to find myself. Says a lot about Charlie, I think. Yes, yes. He was a, he was a great person. So nowadays it's maybe more the norm for girls and boys alike to look further afield than the local parish hall as their next step in life in university and it's not maybe Minute or UCC and there's even little companies set up to help you find that American scholarship you know at the different levels how did you figure out that it was an opportunity and how did Canberra University happen? You know it was much easier back then and um, like a lot of things, much easier back then. But um, there was another Irish girl from um, Cork, um, Ada O'Sullivan. Sorry, not Ada O'Sullivan, Ada Burke. Um, and she was playing for Campbell University. And it really hadn't become the thing yet for Irish girls to go out to America. I think there was probably maybe three that had gone out before me, um, Ada being one of them. And um, me and we weren't the best of friends through junior golf because she was a little bit older than me, but we did have some sort of connection. So it was her who kind of, I kind of decided, I don't know how I decided, hey, I want to go to America to college instead of going back home in Ireland. But, you know, it was nice having that connection there at Campbell University. And it was especially nice having her there once I did move to the States. You know, as I said, I had never been to America before, had no idea what I was jumping into. So it was really nice to have, to have her there when I arrived in North Carolina. Smashing. So what was the difference? What was the culture shock between Ennis Crown, which I suppose six months of the year is kind of like Lahinch, it's wild, almost unplayable. And then for a kid to be dropped into North Carolina, but nothing but a, a suitcase and a teddy bear, I believe. Suitcase and a teddy bear, yes. Um, well, first of all, I had to get rid of my little uh, bump and runs with my five iron. That's good. That was sure. And everything was flop shots. And no, but like just everything, the whole life was a culture shock. Like 
the biggest thing I remember was my coach picked me up at the airport and he was like, Michelle, there's one thing we didn't tell you. This is a dry county. And I was like, dry county? And oh, I, was I, I said, is that something to do with the climate? And he was mm. like, no, I'm afraid there's no alcohol in this county. And I thought, you've recruited an Irish girl and now you're going to tell me there's no alcohol in this county? <laughs> But that was that was probably the top culture shock. <laughs> um, but but no, it was. I mean, you're away from home. For, I, you know, my parents done a smart thing. And the year before I went, I I finished secondary school when I was seventeen, I guess. And then they sent me to go away to live on my own for a few months. It was probably the best few months of my life, and quite that was a lot of fun. But I worked in Golf Galaxy for a few months with Declan Cunningham. Yeah. And you know, I just experienced living life on my own. But you know, as good and all as that was, nothing prepared me for what I was, you know, about to about to endure. But I guess you know, them shipping me off there on my own with two suitcases. I mean, it made me grow up a little bit faster, and I had to figure out life. No, there's nothing better than um, doing a bit of travel, even if it is the other side of the province. Uh, to cook for yourself and wash your own clothes and everything to kind of learn a bit about yourself before making taking a bigger a bigger step across exactly. across an ocean. Um, four years in Champion. What what was a couple of your best memories there from your time there? From my time at Campbell. At Campbell, yes. About it might be golf. It might be uh, um, different tours. Whatever whatever springs to I mind. My favorite thing looking back at Campbell University was um, we had quite an international team and that was a lot of fun. And that was a that really helped, you know, get through those four years um, as far as we were all in the same boat and we all became one big family um, because we're all away from home. And um, so that was really nice. Um, I did captain my senior year, which that was fun. We had 13 girls my senior year. I think we had 12 internationals and I got to be captain of those. So that was fun. Uh, but yeah, no, like anyone thinking about about coming out playing college golf out here, I highly recommend it. I mean, definitely the best four years ever. You get to travel America, you get to, you know, get a degree at the end of it. I mean, great weather. I mean, it's a, it's the best experience. Anyone, anyone I've spoken to on this little dodgy podcast is, yeah, everyone's like, you have to come out for the experience alone, even whether you, you find out a lot about yourself, whether, you, whether it's for you or not. And if it's not for you, then there's other colleges and other states and different cultures within colleges, etc. You don't have exactly. to go home. Exactly. Um, but, but there's nothing like a learning curve to learn a bit about yourself. Assistant professional wasn't for you. Uh, the, the Irish equivalent is selling Mars bars, I think it's called. Um, <laughs> what about that where you're like, I can maybe I can do more for the game or there's more in me to give give back in the game? Was there a certain was there a limitation that kind of frustrated you about it or you know, not I I don't know. I just like even the fact now I'm I'm teaching kids only, like our kid our program. Like we started our program back in what 2010, maybe now. And you know, we started with one location, it's grown to three locations, and we're 100 percent kids. And you don't often hear that, even here in the States, you know, to have to have met such a big program and it's 100 percent kids. I mean, that's a, I, I feel like that's that's quite a feat. And even with that, like 60 percent of our student base is female too which is something else you don't really, you know, hear too much of. But no, I don't think I really ever thought, oh, what can I change within the game? Um, 
you know, growing up in junior golf, I did see the whole burnout, you know, kids getting burned out, the pressures of the game. So my whole motto at our golf school is to create experiences that encourage kids to play the game forever. Um, you know, I know myself when I finished college, it was such a tough time because I dedicated my whole life to being a competitive golfer. You know, it had gone from, okay, I play golf for fun to I play golf to compete. And I play golf because I want to go out on the golf course and beat somebody and win something. So when, you know, that last round of college golf and I knew my competitive days were over, it was a tough time. Like I cried the whole 18 holes. And it wasn't so much because, you know, college golf was over, but I just knew that whole part of my life was over of being a competitive golfer. And I was like, what do I do now? Well, I knew I was going to go into coaching. But like, if you had asked me back then, hey, Michelle, you want to go play nine holes? I would have been like, people go play nine holes for fun. Like, that's not what I do. That's not why I play golf. So I think a lot of people experience that. Um, I think I've gone way off topic now, but. Absolutely not. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I think a lot of people experience that. But yes, going back to, you know, the whole idea behind my golf school is we teach a lot of good junior golfers. And, and I just, I don't focus on that. I try to create an experience for them that they're going to absolutely love the game. They're going to play it forever. And it's going to be, you know, they're going to love it. And once they love it, they're going to work for it and they can take the game wherever they want. Whereas, you know, sometimes when I think back to, you know, what I've seen in junior golf, there's so many junior golfers that I can think of back in my day and they're just burned out. You know, you see a lot of horror stories with the two. You do. So my question, and not, not to be frivolous, but it might, it might incite a different line of conversation is how many movie tickets do you give away on a weekly basis? So to keep everybody engaged or, or what, <laughs> know, right? what, what do you do to create those experiences without, without needing to give me the secret sauce from Michelle Holmes to the golf either? Uh, I don't do movie theater tickets here, but I do go through a few boxes of ice pops a week. (laughs) (laughs) Ice pops goes far with the the under 10 demographic, all right. I always say here, uh, you know, sometimes the kids, the most exciting part of the golf lesson is the ice pop and the golf cart rides. (laughs) But whatever makes them fall in love with the game, you know, I always say to people, you've got to get your... You know, you see some of these golfers and they're really good at seven, eight years old. And that's all great. But you've got to get your golfer to age 13, 14, 15, absolutely still loving the game, not burnt out from the game. And then they're going to decide where they want to go for from here with it. You know, I have a niece. I'm sure you've seen some of her videos. I have a niece who's six and she's Brilliant. got a Brilliant. golf swing. And she absolutely loves the game and she's already playing in tournaments and so on. And I keep thinking, how am I going to make this game fun for her until she's 14 to when it even matters? You know, that's a tough job at hand. It is a tough job. I mean, I have a, I have a, I have a 10 year old boy uh-huh. and he's got autism. So everything has to be fun for him to have any interest. Uh, and then I have a one year old girl who is already picking up classic golf clubs and, and walloping the radiators with them. Um <laughs> But like yourself, we have a seven-year-old niece in the UK and she picked up the game purely because it's fun, right? Because when they come back to Ireland, I bring them to the range or whatever and we have a fun time and it finishes with a with a milky bar. That's my ploy, is a milky bar, right? You, know, you can take that one and use it yourself. The milky bar kids, school of golf, I might set up here. Um, and she just saw a sign or something locally in the UK and said, hey, mom, 
do they get milky bars there or something, you know? So they brought her and she's having a great time. But like that, like her mom was asking me, like, it's really fun. It's really good. Like, I hope it continues like that. Cause that's yeah. what, cause the minute it gets competitive for some kids, like completely turn, it will turn them off in terms yes. of, and I think there's a psyche there. Like when kids come in, it's not, Oh, how did you play or what did you score? It's, did you have fun or not? That's, that's, I think what a lot of clubs, um, without putting a broad brush mark on it, but kind of um, is maybe how they can address like junior golf in general. Did you have fun? Did you have a good time yeah. rather than like, how did you score? You know, I feel like so often you see, you have to go at the child's pace and um, not that I'm saying that you don't encourage your child and, you know, set goals for them and stuff like that. But what happens sometimes is these kids come in and they're just playing this game and they're having a good old time. And next thing they're, they're showing some talent and before they know it, mom and dad have got these, you know, ideas of LPGA tour, PGA tour, and then they're putting them in like golf lessons and tournaments and, and so on. And the child is just like, wow, I, I was just enjoying the sport. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to fun? Huh? Yeah. So and I think you have to, I think it's so important for, I know for us in our junior golf program, we're constantly trying to have conversations with not only the parent, but the child and hearing what the child has to say and how they're feeling about the game and what they're wanting from it. Especially when we're starting these kids so young. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you go about setting up a school of golf? Because I, I've spoken to a few people here, like Amy Condon runs a great program, is how it's run here. They run programs within golf clubs. So Amy Condon is like, like, like I think over 100 kids in in Ellen Park. And Mary Doyle is is is, is fun.com at, in the Golf Ireland Academy. She was trainee of the year, her first year uh, here um, in the PGA program. So there are a couple who are like leading examples of who I've spoken to, right? I have to get around to a few more yet. But how do you go about creating like that whole culture yeah. of a school of golf? To be honest, I don't know how I did it, but, um, you know, when I think back to the stars, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to open a kid's golf school. I'm going to open a Facebook page, call it Michelle Holmes of golf. And here we go. Um, and like the, when I think back to 2010, we had maybe six students the first, first month. And we now have over 600 students a year through the door. Like wow. So yeah, we've quite a big program now, but like the biggest things I think of when I think of what has made us successful, um, obviously you need, you know, good coaching. We obviously have good coaching staff and um, uh, the relationship between coach and players. I and mean, we put a huge emphasis on that and that helps with the longevity of the kids staying with you. Uh, I think parents love structure. You have to have a structure and you have to have a plan in place. But I think what's really helped us, and I think this is something I made a mistake at at the beginning of my coaching career, is I thought whenever, when a golfer came to me, they came to me because they wanted to be, every golfer wanted to be the next Tiger Woods. And then what I learned from that is, whoa, you can imagine the pressure I was putting on the children back then, but that's not what they actually wanted from the game, right? Um, so what we try and do now is, we when, we, when a parent or when a child joins our club, we um, we sit down and we have a conversation and we say, what do you want from this? And, you know, if you look at those 600 kids that we see through the door a year, probably 70 of our kids are competitive golfers, whether it's on a local, state or national level. 
So you can think of, think about that. A big, huge part of our business is not those competitive golfers. So as far as if you're trying to grow a junior golf program, you better have every corner, you know, taken care of. Um, and I think the only way you can do that is really just have to sit down, have the conversations with the parents and make sure that, you know, what they want for the game, that you're going to give them that journey. Like every family's on a different journey and that's okay. But you've got to be able to create that journey for them. Absolutely. So I'd say from that, it would be preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a massive part structure and it's setting expectations, both for yourself yeah. and for, for everybody involved, right? But, and, you know, and just the player coach relationship. I mean, nothing, nothing is more important than that. Like when I think of the day I signed my niece up to go to gymnastics, I mean, I have no interest in her being a gymnastics, whatever. Um, but she ran out of that building and she just told me how much she loved the coach. And I thought, OK, I, I didn't know if the gymnastic coach was good. I didn't know, you know, what she really had done in there. But all I knew is she had such a fun experience that I was like, OK, we're going to sign you up for this program. We're in. Yeah, that's what you want, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe anyone listening, uh, uh, would you survey the kids or survey the families or like, is there a feedback loop to get you know, like, with the stories that go home, do you get that feedback loop back in to make things better or change things as you go? Yeah, we're constantly like, so yeah, we have that initial meeting, right? When when a kid wants to get into our program, yeah. but then sitting down every, every definitely the beginning of every school year, we're sitting down and we're saying, hey, are you happy with, you know, what programs your child is in now? Do you want to move on to something more? Are we doing too much? We're constantly asking those questions and constantly getting the feedback. But more than anything, constantly asking the kids those questions too. That's good. Because what I see here, and obviously I'm looking from the outside in to like, I see like the posts on social media or in the paper or whatever advertisements and done deal or wherever, right? Is all I see from maybe a local club is the summer camp for a week in the summer. Because it's like, it's a bit of extra revenue they can get. So what's your take on maybe some easy steps that, that I, mightn't cost the world. We don't need to boil the ocean is my new favourite term. What I did originally, and it was the best move we ever made because the parents really appreciated it. Like when I had no students at the beginning, right? Let's say I had 20 kids in my program at the beginning. Um, I could have grouped those kids, all those kids together and worked a very short amount of hours and made some money. But those kids shouldn't have been grouped together, whether it was because of personalities or the level of play. So I really took the time to say, you know what, you two girls, you need to be in a class on your own. And again, I was working a lot more hours than I needed to be for the same amount of money. Um, But I feel for my program, the parents really appreciated that. And that is really one of the best things that I, I did. I think that was the start of the success of our program. Yeah, I think there's a lot of learnings can be got from that if anybody is listening who's involved in um, club golf over here. is like, because I remember when I started in La Hinch and, and like, it was like the early days of like actual juniors being coached in La Hinch and Kevin Glynn was fantastic with us all. I wouldn't be playing golf today if it wasn't for Mr. Kevin Glynn in the Hinch. And I think PE, he was the principal in NS Diamond when the schools and PE for the school was junior golf in the Hinch. So there's kind of that, that kind of partnership was built up there. So like there was a lot of, there's a lot of, um, a lot of kids in in Ennis Diamond Lehinch only play golf now is in our thirties and forties because of of that initiative, right? But something like you just said there, I was put in the same group, and I'm like this is 
25 years ago, right? So that puts an age on me straight away, right? <laughs> is uh, not as old as me, though. <laughs> is like I was just putting that common group juniors there you go and like you'd uh, shout out for a couple of lads Neil Kennedy watch playing off three he was in the same lesson as me it was my first time holding a golf club so who got who got more balanced instruction that day you know so but definitely a massive learning there for any clubs who maybe just starting or pros just starting and, and they have a couple of lessons and they're trying to approach it the right way absolutely and I think the other thing too I think um you know going back to a successful program um for anyone who wants to do this full-time, I guess. For me, you know, a big part of our business has been come to is it's not just about teaching the kids. We have to um, supply them with the opportunities to play, whether it's leagues, golf tournaments, whatnot. And that's part of their whole experience. And then I've built another a whole other half of my business because of it. So it's a win-win. But, you know, kids are not going to stay in those gate in the game. How often do you see people get stuck learning the game on the driving range and then they never actually get the opportunity to go out and play? It's actually still an issue no, no matter what your age, you know, yeah. that there's no like yeah. middle space, you know, it's range and then it's maybe, maybe pitch and put, but nobody does that. But it's range and then bam, full golf course. Like off yeah. you go, card in your hand. How did you score? You know, so absolutely. How would you approach that? Or maybe, maybe you do. Well, I mean, I think, you know, as far as juniors are so much luckier these days, as far as, I mean, the modified golf courses, I mean, things like the modified golf courses, I mean, US kids change, change the whole world with that. And, um, you know, playing the shorter yardages, it makes it so much easier for kids to get out. And I think most kids, or most golf courses have junior tees now. That's the case back home too, right? They still have. In some cases, yeah, you'd have the little little yellow tees at the start of the fairways, we'll say. Yeah, um, so you know that that is much easier, and then um, you know kids, kids just have it much easier these days as far as they have the equipment, they have the shorter golf courses, they have the the kids specific coaching. So you know, I think it's it's moving in the right direction. There's loads of road models for both boys and girls golf. And because you're engaged with so many little golfers on a daily and weekly basis, are they aware of that at that age, like under 10, under 12, of like the, you know, the Leona Maguires and the Corda sisters and, you know, people like that, Justin Thomas, for example, or is it, is it even on their radar? You know, because I know when I was 10, like David Beckham was all over my wall, you know, and, right. and all these places. Well, I mean, with, through my teenage years, I was head over heels in love with Ernie L. So I, <laughs> uh, it definitely helped me. And I was a big Annika fan. But no, I mean, I just actually came back from an LPGA event and I brought my, sis- my sister's kid there, Katie, my niece. And, um, you know, I went and I thought, you know, we'll be half hour here and she'll be complaining the legs are sore. And so we went into the grounds maybe about 10 a.m., and uh, she wanted to see Stephanie Meadows because she knew yeah. she met she met Stephanie in the last couple of years, and she knows Stephanie plays play junior golf with mommy, so she thinks Stephanie is the best thing in the world. So she wanted to meet Stephanie, or she wanted to see Stephanie. So we went to the seventh hole, caught Stephanie, and I said, "Okay, we'll walk a couple of holes here now, and she'll be she'll be done." Well, no, she wasn't done. She wanted to follow her all the way to the 18th. So we walked the whole back nine and it was a very hilly golf course. 
She wanted to talk to her afterwards. So, I mean, there's just a prime example in my head that I think it does. It, you know, it does, it does, uh, it does help. And I think kids have more access to these pros these days through social media. I mean, I know so many of the LPGA professionals follow my niece's page. Now, she doesn't know this, but I mean, I'm sure they're following all those teenage girls, right? And, you know, they're interacting with them. And that's definitely going to, to encourage them, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's definitely like... I've, I'm, I'm hitting Photoshop this weekend to, to make some customized posters for our seven-year-old in our life so she has, can visualize it a bit more because uh, daddy, daddy likes the football, you know, so the, the, the Arsenal or the Chelsea does be on all weekend. Um, not me, her dad. Um, outlook for the future, more schools? Oh, I don't know. Everyone keeps asking me that. We actually Ten, ten Michelles of golf and three in Ireland and four in France. You know what, it actually would be fun to go back and do something back home. But um, I don't know if you know Zoe Allen in Northern Ireland. I always thought there's no way I could do what I do back home in Ireland with the weather and so on. And I had a girl, her name is Zoe Allen from um, Northern Ireland. And she came out to work for me for a couple of summers. We became really good friends. And I was like, Zoe, you're so good at this. You've got to go back and try and give coaching junior girls or junior golf a full time just try and do it full time and she's actually made a pretty good goal but she's a big program back there and she's you know she's making a living out of teaching junior golf full time and I just didn't think that would really be possible in in Ireland you know and um, so who knows it might be in my uh in in my future but like it's amazing here where we're based and um, we are there's a city probably 45 minutes from us an hour from us and like our Saturday golf book is jam-packed with kids from that city they travel down to take lessons with us and the parents keep saying why don't you open a branch up there but I don't know who knows maybe one day 2022 you know 2022 is this coming around real quick the only thing I never want to get to I feel like you know one of the reasons our program has been a success is that we are so involved with our kids and we're so involved with the parents it's really a family atmosphere whereas I really wonder like if it got bigger like do, do we lose that and mm. I would be afraid of that yeah. yeah no absolutely and I suppose that's more like getting the right people you know Get the yeah, right people yeah. and the right culture, and, and where there's a will, there's a way, you know. That's true. Um, yes, I'm not going to tell her to run your business, you know. Yeah, you're not <laughs> telling me how. To, you're not telling me how to turn on a microphone. So, absolutely <laughs> not. But and this might be from uh, time in college, or you know, maybe a maybe a five iron bumper running in a scroll, or maybe some involvement with the schools that you're running. So, what was the hardest shot, or maybe a time in your life you've had to perform under pressure, and why? Um, I'm laughing here thinking about the most stressful time is my myself and my sister won the under 19th May Fitzgibbons, the All-Ireland. And I remember I had won it the year before with my friend, Deirdre Judge, who is my age and a very good golfer. Um, and I remember my dad told me, you're going to play with your sister. And I was like, no, dad, I don't want anybody but my sister. Like, no, like she was only 13 at the time. I was 19. And so I remember that round, but I remember the last hole, she sank probably, a, probably I kind of messed up the last hole a little bit. And then she sank a 10 footer, maybe a downhill 10 footer to bring us to the 19th hole. And then we won it on the 19th. 
So when I just think of the most stressful moment in my life, it was having to play with my sister and that fine match. <laughs> <laughs> so no college golf, nothing around the, the, the no, no. financial struggles of setting up multiple golf schools. It was playing with golf with your sister. Uh, no, and I think as far as my my career is in my coach, you know, my coaching. I think the hardest thing for me is, you know, my whole my whole goal in life is to create these experiences for the kids. But my whole goal as well is to help these parents do a better job and be better caddies and basically, you know, not put too much pressure on their children. And um, you know, that's I always say my the easy part of my job every day going to work is actually teaching the kids how to play the game. But it's making sure the parents are doing the right thing. That's the hard part of my hard part of my job. So, you know, that's that's yeah. <laughs> I'll ask a selfish question because I will hopefully uh, in her own time and his own time be caddying for one of my kids. So yeah. how can I be a better caddy for my kids? Oh, wow. Um, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> That's number one. Keep up and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Standard caddy carry on. I love, I love that, that saying. No, I think like, you know, what I always tell these parents is when you decide you're going to caddy for your child, you are 50% of that team out there. Okay. And if me and you were playing a doubles match, tennis match together, right? And you just weren't on your game. What would I have to do? I'd have to bring my A game. So I always tell the parents, like, the day where your child's game is off, that's when you've got to bring your A caddy game. Whereas usually that's not what we see, right? Anybody can be a good caddy in the days things are going well. But it's what are you going to be when on the day that your child, you know, is, is struggling? And the other thing I say to these parents, too, is like, especially, you know, we have so many parents that are out there caddying on a weekly basis for like six, seven, eight-year-olds. And I keep telling them, these children have no mental game. You know, they don't, they haven't developed any of that yet. So you are their mental game. Yeah. Those things that you're saying to them is, is, you know, are the things that they're going to say to themselves for years to come. So you've got to, you've got to choose those words very wisely. And you know, and I've seen it throughout the years. I see it where a kid is six years old. He's just out there playing golf, the parents freaking out. And I see that child at 14, 15. And what do you think they're like? Freaking out. Yeah. 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 And so I think it's, it's so, you know, I, one of the, I think one of the best things we're doing with our niece is, giving her a good mental game. I actually don't even think the child knows that there's such a thing as a bad golf shot. You know, yeah. it's all forward thinking with it. Now, not to say that she's not going to figure that out in her own time and be a little grumpy, who knows? But um, I think we're doing our job correctly with that. No, it's a fantastic approach. And I don't know if if you've worked with any um, like kids with a disability or with autism or anything in, in the schools, maybe you have. Um, I've, I've dabbled a little bit uh, with the with the ELS for Autism certification here in Ireland. Um, okay. So, and, and a big part of that is um, early success, um, you know, so really making it easy for them so they could be mobily or socially or communicatively um, underdeveloped because um, mm-hmm. they have to learn all that. We all kind of, it's intuitive, but like a kid with autism has to physically learn all that kind of behaviour. Um and making it fun, I found that was phenomenal. Like compared to how I learned the game, 
Um, not that it wasn't fun on the hinge, the hinge is very fun now, more off course <laughs> than on course though for me these days. Um, but it was just that aspect of golf. And I was like, every kid should learn like this. Every yeah. kid should learn in a fun way that like if they swung it, it was, you know, high five, good job. Um, yeah. you know, in the middle of Tipperary, not in California, it was, it was <laughs> barely casino of all places, the 15 of us going, good job, you know, but it was like, you should have seen the kids when they come in and obviously with Austin, they might be a bit more, um, introverted and kind of even body language, like in and themselves, but like after one hour, the parents did not, did not recognize that they were the same kids because after the hour they were, you know, eye contact was on an all time high. They're in a good mood. And the, and the only thing they wanted when they were coming out was, can we do this again? Can we do this again? And I thought it was, I was like, this oh, needs to be done everywhere. So yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you get that, but that and it, it comes across that that's kind of how, how it goes in, in Michelle Holmes world. You know, it's funny when you think back to when we played the game, we were playing, you know, from tees that were too long coaching was you know as much fun Charlie was the best coach and I love Charlie but it was the old-fashioned line them up on the driving range and hit balls like you wonder how we ever felt for the game <laughs> you know and, I was there with my friends we were there with our friends that's why <laughs> that's that's the that's only right. reason yeah. yeah but like nowadays they're so lucky you know we're teaching them through games and we're setting them up for success quite early you know a big debate out there is are we setting the tees too short? You know, these kids are shooting 67, 60, you know, they're shooting all these low scores and that's always a big debate, but I actually love it. I think these kids are, you know, gaining confidence early and who doesn't like to make pars and birdies, you know, whereas we... And I'll tell you something, I am so uncomfortable when I get even close to two over par. Like I'm so uncomfortable because I'm like, oh my God, I've never done this before. This can't That's be right. Exactly uh, imagine if I grew up shooting three and four under par. It's like, this yeah. is normal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I think it was definitely a good move. In good mindset. Came up with that idea. <laughs> Give that man or woman a medal. Yeah. Um, a, a little question before I get into Q&A for you, Michelle. There's loads of affiliations in America and in terms of US kids and we were top, we are, as if I'm involved. Uh, Michelle Holmes is a top 50 coach for kids in the States. There's positive coaching. There's girls golf with the LBGA. There's little golf train. Does that all help? Is that more so like to help with telling parents that it's all going to be structured or behind all of those, is there methodologies that you then use? If you can break yeah, that I, aspect of things down for me. Yeah, no, I think like when I think of the training I went through at US Kids Golf, it definitely helped me, you know, as far as game-based learning, how to teach these kids effectively and then how to put a structure in place. So, I, yeah, I do think all these things definitely help. I know with Little Golf Train, um, it's really a focused on for people who want to work with kids, maybe two to five, Um which I almost didn't do that certification because I thought, you know, I've done US Kids, I've done all this, I feel like I know it all, basically. And I did that certification and I realized there was so much more to learn. It wasn't just about how to teach these kids, but it was how to, you know, deal with the, how to deal with the four-year-old when it has, when he has a tantrum and those kind of things. So no, I, I feel like they all help and um, they help the coach. They're helping the children. They're helping the the parents, and I feel like as coaches and as parents, we should never never stop learning. Absolutely, absolutely. Quick for Q and A, Michelle Holmes style. Okay. Right. Are you ready? 
I think I'm ready. I might want to get Spotify open. What would your walk on song be? <laughs> walk on song. Oh, wow. Um, walk on song. I don't know. I mean, the one I listened to in college all the time before I played was Eye of the Tiger. So maybe that would still be it. That's a good enough uh, that's, one. <laughs> that's still current. Don't worry. The Made in Denmark is on this week. They all have a walk on song, I think, through that bar. Um, I think they walked through a bar between the 16th green and the 17th tee or something. And oh, okay. Their walk on song is on the whole way through. You know what song I always listen to, though, when I want to get pumped up is, you know, the the one they played for the All-Ireland or for when Ireland won the World Cup and put them under pressure. Well, we'll use that one. We'll use that one. That's not been on before. Yeah, put them under pressure. Jack Charlton. <laughs> Jim or pizza, Michelle? Jim. Hat, visor or bucket hat? Uh, hat. Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Happy Gilmore. Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Open or win the Solheim Cup? Win the Open. That's a tough one, though. And, and I mean the I mean the ladies open, but like it's yes, just yeah, the open yeah. for oh, like, gender balance. But like, why? Why are they open and not the Solheim Cup? I don't actually know. My first gut was just win the <laughs> open, but I'm thinking like I used to always love team team environment and all that kind of thing. Can I just win both of them, please? <laughs> you can win the open, and you got chosen to play in the Solheim Cup because of that, and you got to play in both and win both. There's yes. no problem, just for you. Instagram or Twitter. Instagram. Play or practice? Play. Michelle Holmes, bonus question. Okay. I don't know if you've listened to enough episodes to know that this is a question, so maybe you know this is coming and maybe you don't. Okay. Um, so it's a hypothetical one, so I'm going to set the scene here. You're after, you're after a long week of coaching a bazillion kids under 10 in both locations, in all locations of Michelle Holmes School of Golf, and you're, you're planning dinner for the Sunday night, candlelit dinner, at the Holmes residence and you can have whatever six people at the table with you. So you're at the top, you're the head of the table and you have three people down the left and three people down the right. Who are those people? They can be real, they can be fictional, they can be golfers, celebrities, dead, alive. Who are the six people at Michelle Holmes' candlelit dinner? <laughs> it's definitely going to be my family. I mean, I'm away from my family all the time. So it's definitely going to be my mom and my dad and my little brothers. I have two little brothers. And tell me that that's four, and then my sister, of course, and then I guess I'll go with my other half. <laughs> I guess they have to be there. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a smashing table, especially in these times that we've all kind of we're coming out the other end of. Absolutely a valid table to have. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for your time, Michelle. I look forward to hopefully maybe seeing you on on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, maybe this year, if not next. Hopefully and we can soon, um, yes. And we can chat about the Milky Barricade School of Golf some more. There we go. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Amelia. All right. You have a good one. Thank you. You too. Sloan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a lovely episode. I really love speaking with Michelle Holmes of Michelle Holmes School of Golf. And if that story doesn't tell you anything, it tells you to, you are able to do what maybe you didn't think you could, to go after your dreams, go after your goals. And Michelle's case, becoming a coach uh, and is now running multiple facilities. And why can't that be done? Why can't that be done in Ireland? And I believe there's a girl up north I need to speak to now uh, about just that. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please do uh, share with a friend. Uh, share it on social media if that's your thing. Leave a review if you can. Uh, I'll walk you through how to do that on my Instagram. It's a little highlight show there. on one of the buttons at the top of my profile. Um, oh, yes. Um, if you're 
commutable to Nace and to Cragstown Golf Club. Um, some news coming out by the end of next week, I promise, uh, as to a certain event um, that I'll be involved with in July. And then uh, another slightly big one then in, in September. So some really good stuff. You know, the golf is back. I really want to fulfill. And all those things I said I would do um, pre-lockdown 1.0 last year. So really looking forward to getting stuck in. So if you're going to get stuck in as well, make sure you sign up to the timesheet at www.pattytalksgolf.com. Thank you all for listening. As ever, really, 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 really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy. Paddy.